Blog Talk Radio. Brother Jason, please begin the show. Yes, sir. Beginning all things in the name of the Most High, we thank God for coming. We thank God for this day. This is Jason X. And this is also Blog Talk Radio, Saturday, October 21st, 2023. I believe we had an opening song. Are we going to play that, Brother Forrest? Uh, No, sir, Brother. You never chose an opening song. Please continue. All right. Thank you so much. I'd like to begin by thanking God for this meeting Call radio. Most people that do interviews are now switched over to YouTube channels. They switched over to various visual media, leaving behind radio, which was the original theater of the mind. Here at Block Talk Radio, here at Black Hole Radio, we continue the tradition that was set by our ancestors, the great griots of old, who sat in front of of open flame, children of the village, to give them information, history, and entertainment based on that which we know and which we love. We want to continue the theater of the mind with this show, and we have with us today hip-hop for freshmen. Hip-hop for freshmen, I'm going to introduce the owner, CEO, the mind behind Hip Hop for Freshmen, brother by the name of Alan Perry. I thought we had a song that he produced, I guess it was early on, we'll get into it, by the name of Money or Meaning, name the artist KO in the hip hop world. And as you know, we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop. I would challenge that by saying hip-hop has been around much longer than 50 years, but the formal 50 years of hip-hop, we celebrate. We love hip-hop. We love what it has done for our community. We love what hip-hop has done for our culture. And we, as hip-hop artists, hip-hop performers, hip-hop producers, we in that community know its value. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome to the airways our brother, Alan Perry. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Black Hole Radio, Brother Allen. Brother Jason, thank you. Thank you for having me. That was a beautiful introduction. I'm blessed to be here. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, having a platform like this that supports people like me and black businesses like, like, like what, I, what I got going on. So looking forward to having a great conversation with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As I always say, this is just a conversation between brothers. I like the audience to picture themselves as members of the barbershop community. One thing that we had in terms of entrepreneurship that was, that was always our own was the barbershop and the beauty salon. And, you know, Ice Cube, as a producer, did a wonderful job illuminating the type of talk that goes on inside of the barbershop on a Saturday afternoon and Saturday morning, brothers going into the barbershop to get their hair fresh for Saturday evening's activities, Sunday's church activities, and sit down and give an opportunity for each other to catch up 
with what the local news is, catch up with some of the gossip, catch up with political views, religious views, and that was the place in our community that we maintained. The overall picture of the barbershop is black entrepreneurship. And when you have black entrepreneurship, the reason why we had our own barbershop is because we wouldn't trust white folks or uh, anyone else doing our hair. We knew what the fresh styles were. So we sat at the barbershop and we um, helped black entrepreneurship while we entertained ourselves. So I want the audience, again, to picture yourself in a barbershop on a Saturday morning, brothers around getting their hair set up for the evening's activities, and we kick it like this. Brother Allen, do me a favor and give us a yes, biography sir. of yourself. It, it, it could be take your time. This is long-form radio. It's what I like to call big talk, not small talk. It's big talk. So take your time and give us an introduction into your life, how we got to this place right now. Right, right. So, yeah, my name is Alan Perry. I'm from Harlem. I was born in Harlem Hospital. Um, 41. I think I'll be 42 in December. Just missing up. I forget the, the birthdays now. They all kind of mesh together. But, yeah, yeah, yes, I'm from Harlem, and um, I've been at this um, this entrepreneurship thing for a while. Um, I've always had a, um, an interest in drawing and art uh, as a young boy, and then in my teens, I fell in love with hip-hop. I think the first track I listened to was the EPMD track uh, and The Brat, believe it or not, and then started writing in my spare time. And then uh, recording in my bedroom and then went off to college and started doing some live performances there and then uh, on and off campus. And then after school, after college, uh, uh, went off into the corporate world for a bit and had a music career simultaneously and um, went back to school, enrolled in a couple master programs, um, launched a few ventures, and uh, along the way, I've always been writing this curriculum, this entrepreneurship curriculum that, that we're going to get it more into in a bit, and um, republished, uh, rep- we self-published uh, the second volume earlier this year, and um, now my goal is, uh, and my mission has always been um, entrepreneurship and teaching it to the youth, you uh, what else? I went to the University of, uh, well, I'll start uh, from high school. I went to Ohalos High School in the Bronx, um, went to University of Scranton in Pennsylvania for college, um, and then I went off and got a master's in uh, entertainment business uh, from Full Sail University. Uh, I know I'm scattered all over the place, so um, no, brother, I'll it's, get a little it's bit your more life. structured. It, it, no, no, brother, it, you're doing fine, and it's your life. And this is what the audience tunes in for, is to find out a little bit more about the person and what brings them right. to where they are now. Um, talk about a, a little about mm-hmm. your family. Do you, you have brothers and sisters, mom, dad, single-parent household? How did you grow up? I know you went to school, and you went to, you know, have very yeah, little full cell. You know, oldest of three, okay. And mm-hmm. that puts you, you know, they have yeah, the, yeah. Enneagram, the, the Enneagram, which is uh, part of the Sufi tradition, your birth order 
determines a lot about who you're going to be in life. Um, the firstborn is usually the one that steps out. They're the one that the parents, uh, the parents experiment on, you know, as the first baby, and they are find themselves responsible for the subsequent children. So, as a firstborn, being an entrepreneur is not it's not a it's not a big stretch. So, um, the mm. brothers and sisters, um. Um, after you, uh, another male, a uh, female. How did that go to birth order? Yeah, so I have a, my brother. He's next. He was after me, and then my sister. Yeah, so sisters mm-hmm. three. Uh huh. And how? And the 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 years in between each other is it stair steps or is it several years in between each other? How did that work out? Uh, my brother is four years younger, and my sister is ten. Yeah, ten years. Yeah. So again. You found yourself being responsible for them as as uh, you're growing up. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just you know, for the audience and the way that it goes down, um, responsibility responsibility carries on. You know, from the early ages, being a responsible man, being a responsible person, being responsible for your siblings. You know, we're going out now. I need you to look out for your brother and sister. You make sure that the house is this, that, 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 and you carry it on the mindset of the parents, you know, so that it makes sense that, that did um, your brother and sister also go to, uh, go to college? Uh, uh, my sister, my sister is graduated from college. She's working on her master's now. I think she's actually working on her PhD now. Uh, and my brother, uh, he didn't finish. I think he just got his associates. So he finished two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, again, that, that always plays a part in how, the firstborn sets itself up. It's easy for the, the subsequent children to follow in their footsteps because it's expected of them. The, pa- the parents expect that. You know, you look at your brother, look at your brother, look at your brother. And it's always a good lesson for young parents as they, you know, they're setting up their family to pour in that love and that light to the eldest because it spills over into the subsequent children. It's a good look. Now, mm-hmm. what was your traditional, your formal education, like you told us the schools you attended. Just give us some more information right. about that. What type of student were you? Uh, what were your relationship to your friends? Right, right, right. So uh, I went to uh, Ohio's high school. I'll start there. I, I was very shy, very young teenage kid. And um, I remember freshman year entering high school and just wanted to be a part of a, a group. And I tried out for the basketball team, didn't make it, but I met some cool guys there and then found my, my space on the track team. You know, I was mm. on, on my Forrest Gump tip, just running. And <laughs> found out that I was uh, that I was fast, you know, and um, started my legacy there and started winning medals and taking the, the, the track team to the pen relays um and and just really competing on a higher level uh in high school um so that followed me throughout my four years in high school and senior year became student body class president um did some great mm-hmm. work in the school and um uh went on to uh Scranton University I chose that school uh, we had a a guy who graduated from Ohio's that went to that school came back and spoke, and out of all the schools I applied to, which was uh, Villanova, Howard, and Scranton, 
um, uh, Scranton basically gave me a nice uh, academic scholarship. You know, I've, I was always an honor roll student, uh, first and second honor rolls all the time. Schoolwork was very easy for me. You know, I, I kind of figured out that all the teacher wanted me to do was regurgitate what they told me. And once I kind of figured that out, I'm just like, this is easy, you know, with yes, the exception sir. of certain classes. Um, so, yeah, I went off to, to Scranton, um, and, um, and uh, it's interesting because I, as I reflect on this as a kid, one of my concerns was the expense of college uh, and that being um, overbearing for my, for my parents. So in hindsight, if I could go back, I, I would do – things a little differently. I would probably do two years in Scranton and, and then the other two at a um, HBCU. Um, nice. So, yeah, I chose Scranton, and, and it was a great it was a great experience. Uh, either way, um, I tapped more into my artistry. Um, I participated in, um, um, what do you call it, um, those showcases, showcases on campus. Um, the school was predominantly – yeah, like talent shows, correct. The school was predominantly Caucasian. It was a Jesuit Catholic school. It's like Ohio's yeah. was a Catholic school. So we had an organization called the United Colors, and, you know, it was really just a handful of us in that university. And I kind of made my mark by introducing spoken word, and, and I would perform on campus at events. And there was this one poem I had in particular. It was called... Um, a big bag of Skittles, and mm-hmm. I forget it, the poem in its entirety, but it's, it was basically describing how all these Skittles are of different colors and got along in this bag, and, you know, it was joyous to the consumer, and whatever. It painted a good picture for the environment at, at that, that was on at that campus. You know, I will never forget it. I remember going to orientation uh, with my mother and my aunt, and, you know, there was bigotry written on in graffiti on the side of one brother's car. And so I was stepping uh-huh. into a, a crazy environment. Not, I, know, I, I had no idea. You know, I, I lived a very, I wouldn't say sheltered, but for the most part it was sheltered. Like my mom's kept me out the streets. And, and I was focused on schoolwork, and I, had, and I was very social in school anyway. So I wasn't, I didn't hang in the streets much, and, and I wasn't really exposed to a, a lot of the, the um, challenges in our communities, you know, until I, I got to college. And it was like, it felt like I stepped into a time capsule in, in hindsight. Anyway, I, I, I experienced that. For, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, did your parents prepare you for that, knowing the type of environment that you were going to be sent to, um, you know, that there was a, uh, a, from growing up in Harlem and uptown and then going into a, a white environment, how did your parents or did they prepare you for that type of bigotry, prejudice, and racism that you would, that you would uh, find? Did they prepare you at all? No, 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 no. My, my, my parents had a, uh, kind of hands-off type of parenting style, and um, I respected as in, in regards where I was meant 
I, I basically just made my decisions on my own, you know, even down from the college I chose to, you know, from a very young age, you know, I was just figuring things out on my own. And, you know, they, they yes, worked, and I, I took care of my siblings, you know, when I needed to, and took care of myself when it was time to. Uh, but yeah, it was yeah. it was a shock, and I experienced quite a few things on that campus. Uh, but it was a good experience. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular ahead, stand out to you now that you're a grown man um, in terms of that that type of dynamic in the school setting? Now I heard you say that you would have liked to have gone to HBCU. Was it as a result of some of the things that you found at that at the, at that university? No. No, um, you know, I've had um, younger cousins in my family ask, um, ask me about my experience. Like when, when my aunt called me not too long ago, and she actually posed this question to me because her daughter is choosing. Um, she's in a school now, college now, but she wants to switch. And, and I just gave my two cents. I said, in my experience, I think she should have both experiences, you know, regardless, you know, because the world is – um, a diverse world, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just to have both perspectives would be nice, would be ideal for her. Uh, and she, she respected that response. So, I mean, like I said, it was, right. there's nothing I would, um, there's no particular reason. Um, yeah, I just feel like that, that balance is necessary because that's the world that we live in. Right. Absolutely. You have so many horror stories, you know, uh, being in the nation, we get a lot of things come through our desk. Uh, Brother Forrest and I used to do a show here on Black Hole Radio called Unlawful Captives. And I never will forget um, one sister called up one evening, and she gave us a story of her son in a similar situation as yours, going to an all-white or, you know, majority white university. And he was drugged at a party one night. He went there, you know, top-flight student, uh, academic scholarship, the whole nine yards, very popular, very sociable, and he was drugged one night, and he basically turned into a vegetable. He came home, uh, you know, dropped out of school, and locked himself, basically locked himself in his room. He didn't speak much after that. It, it was, you know, it took him to, you know, medical doctors. It took him to psychologists, psychiatrists, and he basically turned into a social um, uh social outcast in his home, and they wondered what happened to him. And they found out later on that, that his, uh, his white co- uh, counterpart at the university was so envious of him and his abilities in, um, in uh, sports and athleticism, in academia, that they drugged him, and he was never the same. And it's a cautionary tale, and, I, you know, I, I just think about that as we were talking about your aunt and your cousin, that these type of things – uh, need to be expressed that we are going into an environment that could sometimes be hostile to us, and it's designed to break us because we are in some, in most cases, going into university as the best and the brightest and the hope of our family and our community, and just it That's seems correct. like a natural thing for them to to want to um, to want to cut that off at the knees or cut it headed off at the path. And this is something that came to my mind mm-hmm. when we were speaking, but but go go ahead, just uh, you know, still uh, mm-hmm. talk about you know that that preparation for where you are now, going into 
our hip hop for freshmen show, uh, the hip hop for freshmen, because I'm thinking about it as we're talking about the school and the education piece. Why is hip hop for freshmen? Because it's, it's that that type of environment, the academic environment that the freshmen. And I thought the play on words was real cool. You know, freshman, freshman. You know, so continue on, bro. So yeah, so um, I'm in Scranton University, and then uh, around my senior year, uh, one of my closest friends, I'll never forget him. Uh, his name is his name is John Tilkey. Very strong brother, not a brother, but you know, very strong brother. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. we just took a liking towards each other, and um, we just set ourselves apart, and we decided to come up with an invention. You know, we didn't want to work for no one. We saw that adults had this issue with money, and we just didn't really understand as uh, older teenagers. And we said, we're just going to invent something. So senior year, we try to invent something. We come up with nothing, right? I graduate. I'm working my first job. Um, before I start working my first job, I'm, I'm transferring all my belongings from my, my off-campus apartment on the, the, the mega bus back to Harlem. Um, it was interesting. And I got all my buddies. My buddies came to see me from the Bronx um, prior to graduation, and they left a bunch of their fitted hats. So I had about 15 fitted hats that I had to bring back along with all my crap. And I ended up bending those hats and ruining those hats, and I felt really bad because they were kind of brand new, and these brothers took care of their hats. Now I owe these brothers like $50, $40 a piece. And then in that moment, I said, <laughs> why, why isn't there some type of, cap encasement to protect these things when, when traveling. So I, I invented something like that. And I embarked on that journey. I put it down on paper, and then I said, I'm home, and I'm sure you've seen the commercial with the caveman hitting the wheel and, and, and vent yeah, help. Yeah. I called them up. Right, right. Yeah, right. So I, I, I called them up. I paid about 1200 bucks. They put a, a packet together for me, tons of research, target audience, the material. Um, if it's ever been tried before, I basically took that information, packaged it up into a PowerPoint presentation, and I made a list of the companies in the hat industry that I wanted to pitch to, and it was Reebok, uh, Models, uh, New Era, and Wilson. And everyone said no, great idea, but no except for New Era. Long story short, um, New Era was very interested uh, but they wouldn't sign my non-disclosure agreement. I think I was like 21, 22 at the time. And at the time, I was working at UBS Payne Weber. And so I'm around these finance guys, and they're like, you're sitting on gold here. Two, three weeks passed. They're like, just present it to them. And I'm like, no. But eventually, I ended up doing it. And a week go by, and I'm emailing them, and nothing. I remember this like it was yesterday. And then I finally yes, get sir. an email letter, a letter and an email from them saying, um, Thank you, but no thank you. We have in-house engineers that can blah, 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 but thank you, but no uh-huh. thank you. One year later, I'm in my, my parents' house right here on 150th between Amsterdam and Broadway playing video games, and my close friend, uh, Billy Owens, William Owens, he came by. He said, I sell your cap case in the store on 140, uh, I think it was 143rd and Broadway. He got dressed. I got dressed so fast, speed walked to the 140, whatever, in Broadway, and sure enough, the cap case was there. Basically, whoever modified what I sent them, and um, that was my first lesson in real, the real world. 
Um, yes, I learned so much from that experience. I'm like, I went through all this schooling, and where was the lesson about people stealing your ideas, intellectual property, protecting your right. stuff, right? I got a crash course, real-life course on intellectual property protection, uh, which is why uh, it's in my book. So um, I tried to pursue something legally at that at that age, but I don't remember how far I went with it, but I just basically just, just left it and took the lesson. Um, while I'm doing all that, I'm working corporate, and I'm working on my artistry, right? So at night, yeah. I'm writing, I'm recording, and I'm booking shows. And basically I got to that point where – I got my sec. It was my first corporate job. Uh, UBS was my second. This was my, my first corporate job. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, man. And I'm sitting next to a woman in her cubicle, and she's like, I'm about to retire. And she's like, I've been here for 40 years. And she's like in this chair in this cubicle. And I literally just saw my life flash before my eyes, and I was just like, not me. So I went back yes, to doing what I was doing in my teens, and I said, I'm going to try this music thing professionally. And that started that journey. So I'm working my nine-to-fives, and I'm doing my artistry at night, writing, recording, performing. And I basically was um, submitted my resume to a bunch of temp agencies. So I had mostly paralegal jobs and, and jobs in corporate because they, they paid. And, you know, I had the piece of paper at that time, so that's what I was applying to. Um, but they were mostly right. temp jobs. Um, got to the point where I was in two years in, doing two, three shows a week. Um, I had a buzz for myself. I had a couple songs that kept being requested when I was performing. And um, 2007 comes along. Uh, 2006 comes along. I'm a real estate. I got my real estate license, so I started doing selling uh renting apartments in the city. Uh, I was always a guy that was not afraid of work. You know, I'd get my hands dirty. So I'm, I had two jobs, and I'm rapping and, and, and you know, and doing these shows. Um, so there was a competition on Black Planet uh, that was sponsored by Vibe Magazine and Heineken, and it was a nationwide competition. And they basically threw everybody in the pot, you know, singers, um Rappers from different genres, country, down south, west coast, and there was just thousands and thousands of artists in this pot, and it was a competition where people would just vote online at Black Planet. Um, I beat out the artist, a, a lot of the artists, and made it to the top three, and it was crazy. It, was, it went on for months, and I remember it like it was yesterday, too. I'm online every day just hitting people up, and they're on their MySpace, on their Black Planet, vote for my song, vote for my song, every day, every right. round, every, you know what I mean? And I made it through. They flew the top three to New York. Um, obviously not me. I was here, and we performed right. uh, in front of three judges. One of the judges was Styles P, and I forget the two others, um, um, long story short, I didn't win the competition. It's crazy because um, Styles P was a celebrity judge, and when it came time to judge my performance, he basically said, I don't like New York rappers. So I lost right. the battle. Yeah. I mean, not the battle. I lost the competition. They gave it to this guy from Detroit 
who um, had an opportunity to record with Styles, right, which was great. But um, Black Planet and Vibe Magazine felt that my performance was better, and so did everyone else. And they gave me a full page in Vibe Magazine, a $40,000 spread for free. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, timeless. And um, they were very interested in what I was going to do next. So I went on writing, recording, performing, and I got approached by a label called Boom Entertainment. Actually, this was prior to to Vibe. Mm -hmm. I missed this step. But I was signed to a label called Boom Entertainment, and it was partially owned by Lenny Kravitz. And I had some cool engineers. And I would write jingles and write songs with artists and across seas, and I, I had a demo deal myself. So I would write songs to beats that they created, and I would bring in my music too. And they had a whole plan for me to shot me as this LL kind of figure, and I wasn't really gotcha. with the branding that they had in mind at the time. Um, but we worked together, we recorded, and I, I learned some things about uh, royalties, right, and being in a, a studio and and all of that, and signing right. and contracts. And, um, I had an, I had a guy at the time who I wanted to manage me. He was very popular on the scene, um, but um, we just couldn't see eye to eye. And he could he wasn't allowed to go into some of the rooms that I was into based off his reputation. Uh, long story That's short, I, I yeah I went around performing. I did so many shows. I mean. I had a stack, I had a roll, this is when we had Rolodexes. So I had a Rolodex of business cards from A&Rs. I mean, Chris yeah. Lighty, you name it, I had it. And I touched shoulders with them, and they were just like, keep going, keep doing your thing. And I gave all those business cards to the guy I wanted to be my manager, and he ran off with the plug, never saw him again. And that took a big blow to, my, to me as an artist, and, but I had to keep going. So I got approached by Capitol Records, and it was at a Keith Murray release party. I remember it like yesterday, and then um, I I was by myself. My, I didn't really have a team. I had my hype man, and I had people who would help me with things, but I didn't have a team in that regard on the business side. So I decided mm-hmm. to go back to school and um, just stop with the music thing and, and learn the, the, the other side. Along the way, while I'm doing my artistry, I'm learning concepts like copyright and trademark and infringement and branding and and how to start a label and LLCs and business bank account. All these are foreign concepts to me, and I'm learning them as I'm an artist, right? Never taught this stuff in school. Never took these classes. So not not only am I learning them, I'm writing them down. I I write everything down, you know, live and die by my to-do list. You know, I pray. And before I pray, I write my to-do list, and I wake up, and I know exactly what I got to do every day. That's just how I, I'm, I'm built myself. Um, Excellent. Um, I lost my train of thought for a second there. Where was I? <laughs> right, if I'm I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly where time. you were. This is, this is, I, I'll tell you exactly where you were. This is the point where you are, as an artist, you're learning the business side of the music industry from the inside. Right, right. So I got to the point where I'm learning, I'm, I'm exposed to these concepts, 
Um, I ended up doing all these things unknowingly but knowingly, and then I registered a song with Sound Exchange, and a couple months later I get a royalty check for eleven grand, and I'm like, oh, nice. snap. <laughs> right? So yeah. I'm like, I'm 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 like this this is this is the play this is the this is the blueprint, and then I didn't understand at that age why artists was talking, the labels is robbing me. You know, I'm listen I'm listening to Prince and Michael Jackson and other artists talk about copyright and and publishing, and I'm like, but I just did it, hmm? right? So I put it together in the book, and I said I started writing it, and then. As I'm writing it, the goal was for it to be a curriculum to help other artists, to help brothers who want to get in this hip-hop game. It was never really a thing to help me because I got the knowledge and it was already embedded in my brain. So I, I said, I want this to be a curriculum, right? And I, and I embarked on this. I started this journey when I was like 24 years old. And originally it was called Hip-Hop Academy. And um, I wanted it to be an online school. And it had 20 classes. And I was like, these are the 20 things that artists need to know, right, to get in the game, right? You can't be an artist if you don't know copyrights. You can't, you just have to know these things. And then I sat back and I'm just like, well, where's the book on this? Why, why hasn't no one dissected it this way and framed it this way, right? Well, God has right. blessed me with this vision, so here we go, right? This is for me. And I just started putting it together, um, as I was running, I remember I was running around as a real estate agent, and I, one of my clients was a guy named Glenn Johnson, God rest his soul. He took a liking towards me. I rented him his first apartment in New York City. He was a, um, a tech guy um, who dropped out of school, his second, dropped out of college his second year, and got a job making over a hundred grand. And I just thought his story was fascinating. And he took a liking to me because he loved my music. So we built this relationship, and then I told him what I was doing, and he's like, let me build your your your, your whole infrastructure, the IT part. of." So we started working together for years. We worked together. Um, um, that relationship parted for various reasons. Um, no one's fault in particular, but I kept going with it. Um, fast forward to Capitol Records. Uh, again, the, the business was just over my head. I didn't understand the jargon. So I decided to go back to school and get a master's and, and enroll in the master's program in entertainment business. So at this time, I was before I enrolled in that program, I was in New York City. And I was I was done with New York City at that point, and I, I didn't want to live my whole life in, in one area. So I relocated to Maryland. I lived in Maryland four years, you know, I, I, before I went, finally started um, that, that first master's program. I went to Maryland, ended up there for four years, and my father's side of the family is out there, so I got mm-hmm. to spend some time with my cousin who was getting married, and I took a job as a teacher, a graphic design teacher at a um, at a charter school in Washington, D.C. Um, pretty interesting experience. Um, but in that experience, what I did was I took my graphic design class and I incorporated entrepreneurship. So, for example, one class 
uh, I, I made the kids design business cards for a concept that they wish that they had in their neighborhood or service that they had, right? And then that ended up being them wanting to print these business cards and pass them out in their neighborhood and actually start this, this business. So I've always incorporated business and entrepreneurship wherever. And then um, I remember it, um, again, like it was yesterday, the principal offered me a great position at the Connecting School of Sister in D.C., and she offered me a position, and then she offered, and then she gave me a book to read at the same time. And the book was called "Who Moved My Cheese." And she said, "Read the book." Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Who moved my cheese? The book was tough. "Who Moved My Cheese." Yeah, I was Got so it. perplexed, right? Yeah, and she gave it to me, and she said, "So I read it. It's a children's book, very easy to read." And I again, I understand, but I read the book, and it just it, it it pushed my wig back, man. And so mm-hmm. we we uh we had the next meeting, and I said, if I understand correctly, you're telling me to not take the offer. You're telling me to go. She said, I'm not telling you anything. She said, what well, do what you feel. And in a nutshell, I, I I continued on with my journey. I didn't take the position, and I and I left and embarked on the journey to Miami down south which is basically what she was telling me. She basically telling me she'd see more in me and for me not to get, not to stay here, you know. And right. it was a very challenging and uh, interesting situation, but I, I'll never forget her, you know, Miss Falby, never forget her. You, 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 um, I'm going to stop you right there, Brother Allen, because I just got a flash uh, of something that you may or may not have seen in this as a pattern. When you were at that desk job, there was a woman in the cubicle next to you who was ready to retire. Her experience caused you to get up and, and move on. Second one That's right. now passes you a book after she passes you an offer that would basically have locked you in to a really good setup. Also gives you information that helps you to make the move to move on. Two women in your life, unbeknownst to them, giving you the mindset to continue to push your dreams. I just I, I just got that listening to your story. I don't know if you, you recognize that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's big. That's, yeah, that's huge, yeah. I'll never forget either one of them. Um, so, so I basically packed up my Jeep at the time, drove to Miami from D.C. That was an adventure in itself. Mm-hmm. I get there, and all I know is I just don't want to be in the cold anymore. I just want to show me where the beach is at. I don't know nothing <laughs> yeah. about Miami, and I've never been there before. I know some of my friends have been there, but I've never been anywhere, let alone by myself. And this is me embarking on that manhood, kicking the crutch, and really standing on my two, own two. Right. So, so basically, I'm able to do this because I enrolled in the, that entertainment business program while I was in D.C., and I took out a loan from the school. Basically, I had about 9000 and then I was like, cool, this is enough for me to get an apartment and set up and start new and just 
fully focus on this program. It was a two-year program, but I took it in one year. And um, upon completing it, it gave me the confidence to publish the book. Um, again, it was initially titled Hip Hop Refreshment, but through the program, um, it made me change the name to Independent Artistry. So that's what I call that process of being an independent artist or how to be an aspiring entrepreneur. What are the elements? It's called independent artistry, right? The writing, mm-hmm. the, cop, the, the branding, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, put together my piece, my thesis, um, and then um, I shortly realized that the world is the Internet, and I didn't know anything about Internet marketing. I knew how to build right. websites because as an independent artist, um, I built my own website. I bought my name was KO and I bought the real KO.com and mm-hmm. I learned how to I fell in love with designing websites. Um but I knew nothing about the back end of everything and, and marketing and indexing and, and search engine optimization. So I went back to school, got my second masters in digital marketing from full sale and now I was equipped to launch the book. I officially published, self-published the book in 2013. And then I just started putting together, like, various marketing plans using Facebook ads and uh, organic um, um, organic search engines, optimizations, affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. I'm just trying all types of stuff, automation, email marketing, because I had the knowledge now. Um, and, and basically I've been mentoring and consulting artists and entrepreneurs since then. Um, and it's been a challenge. Uh, artists and entrepreneurs don't really know what they need um, until they need it. It was a huge right. learning curve. Um, I didn't get off as many books as I thought. Um, but it, what it did was it made me take those concepts and start other businesses on my own. So one of the businesses I started in Miami was a residential cleaning company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in Miami, and this was pre-Uber. Uber comes. It changed my life. Now I have access because I didn't have a car. When Uber came. Now I have access to inland Miami, further up Miami, not just Miami Beach. It just changed everything. And then I just loved the business concept of, having a business where you can be behind your computer and control things and run things. So I yes, wanted sir. a similar concept and I stumbled into the cleaning business and uh, went to go clean for this company um, and learned the ins and outs of residential cleaning. And then once I got to about 700 cleaning, 700 toilets, I basically said, I'm going to start my own cleaning business. Business was yes, called uh, 411 Made. And I bought a vanity number, 877 411 Made, and I bought the domain name, 411Made.com. And I text enabled the 800 number and made it automated. So, and then I just threw a bunch of flies everywhere and did my marketing thing online. Sure enough, people started texting this number, booking appointments, paying $140 for a four hour cleaning. I was doing well. I had a bunch of maids locally, and I had a network of maids nationwide. 
called up Groupon, had Groupon ads nationwide. Uh, long story short, I did well for a bit until the maid started no calling and no showing in certain areas like Houston, right. Texas, just a lot of no call, no shows. It's really hurting the brand. And then Hurricane Irma came and then just washed me out. And I ended up relocating back to New York City, which is where I am now. Um, yes, sir. But I still like to say those concepts from the book helped me start other businesses. You know, I started that business and I started a promoting business. I used to throw these mansion parties on South Beach while I was there. And it was just a really fun time, you know, incorporating the concepts that I've learned from my artistry into other aspects. Um, yes, 2018, 19, come around. I'm back in New York. I'm looking at the book. Meanwhile, all this is going on with the cleaning company, and I'm still pitching to schools the curriculum. So there's, there were right. school districts in Miami that I would book meetings with, and I would pitch there. I even remember one meeting, uh, a, a, a school in the Bronx was interested. I flew across the country to pitch to the school. Um, interesting story, the, the, the principal tried to take the curriculum, I'm not knowing that I'm um, up on copyright infringement. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, just craziness. It's crazy. So, yeah, so it's, full, it's full, full circle to the hat business. But, but Alan, hold, hold one second. I would like to give the call-in number just in case anyone is listening to this particular portion of the story because I told you, brother, this goes so fast. We got 15 minutes left in the show, and I would like for us to drill down on the business of hip-hop for freshmen. But before that, once again, this is Black Hole Radio, Brother Jason and Brother Faris Muhammad. You can call in at 1-563-999-3089. Once again, call in if you want to speak to Brother Alan Perry at 1-563-999-3089. Eight, nine. So, again, Brother Allen, could you fast forward to the book, the business, the concept, the website of Hip Hop for Freshmen? Yeah. And we're going to let you yeah, rock this go. out until the end of the show. Here we go. Right. So 2018 comes around. I decide to take the book and rebrand it as Hip Hop for Freshmen. All right. Um, I wanted to target my community directly. So I rebranded it. This year, I gave it a facelift. So I rebranded the color, the cover, and I basically put the workbook inside of the handbook. So basically, Hip Hop for Freshmen is a self-help curriculum, a self-help homeschool curriculum, a self-help academic curriculum, a self-help book teaching entrepreneurship through hip hop. It takes you from 10 steps. I've identified 10 steps it takes to be either an independent artist or an entrepreneur. And those 10 things are creative writing, create a brand, copyright law, trademark law, how to create an LLC, how to open a business bank account, intro to business taxes, publishing, and digital distribution. The program, uh, it's, it's not just a curriculum, it's a book. Um, 
It's also a program that can be taught by teachers, um, and it's also an online course. The online course isn't launched yet, but it's amazing, right? Um, yes, sir. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. The website is hiphopforfreshmen.com, the number, the number four, hiphopforfreshmen.com. You can check out the About page for more information, uh, and you can check out our team, my, my team, and consists of uh, Camilla Lawson. He's at the Promise Academy, um, Harlem Children's Zone. He's a black history teacher uh, for about 15 years and also served as dean. Another one of my colleagues that's a part of the team, uh, Lorraine, uh, she's the special education director at the Promise Academy. Um, about three years ago, I was given the opportunity to teach a pilot program at the Promise Academy Harlem Children's Zone on the weekends uh, for a couple hours, and um, it was an amazing opportunity, and they've been extremely supportive uh, throughout this process. The team is fairly new. Uh, it also consists of Eric Bullock. Uh, he's based out in Trenton, New Jersey. And he's currently pitching to schools, middle schools and high schools in the Trenton, New Jersey area with the goal of combating the dropout rate that our community is facing. Uh, he was introduced to me this past June uh, looking for an engaging curriculum uh, that's culturally relevant. I've chosen this, and, and, and it's been nothing but a cohesive synergy since then. Um, so, yeah, that's hip-hop for freshmen. Um, Again, if you, if you want to call in, I'll answer your questions. Um, what else you got for me, brother, brother Jason? Well, we we we're opening we'll open up the phones right now. Once again, it's one five six three nine 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 three zero eight nine one five six three nine 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 three zero eight nine, and you can ask our brother Alan Perry, the voice, okay, the brother, face, I the mind. Go ahead, brother. I have two questions, brother. May I ask, brother Jason? Yes, sir. Please, please. This is your show, too, brother Forrest. I mean, I mean, brother, this is your show, and this is our brother Allen, our guest, our learned guest, <clears throat> brother Allen. Yes, uh, sir. How much does your course cost? How much does your course cost? The book is eighty dollars on my website. It's night is a hundred dollars on Amazon. These are just introductory prices. Um, the retail price is one twenty nine for the book for the curriculum. But again, I work with the budgets of the schools. I know education budgets are tight, so that's the range right there. Yeah. Say it again, please. Uh, for the actual, the range is between eighty dollars and one hundred and twenty nine. So on my site. It's a it's eighty dollars right for now as an introductory price, but the retail price is one twenty nine. Yeah, the program itself, okay. again, it's all contingent on the budget of the schools. I really don't like to throw numbers out and scare people away, so we just work with budgets, right? The whole goal is to get this book in its home, which is the school system. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Go ahead, Bufar. My second question. Is my second question is this, brother. Will you be willing to do a follow-up show with us? Because this is highly impactful, highly empowering. You, you, you're talking about the reason why – this is the reason why Michael Jackson, Prince, and a few others down the, down the line 
from Sam Cooke up to Prince are dead now. Michael Jackson made a deal with uh, UCLA to teach teach this course at UCLA. Copyright. Brother Jason and I are very familiar with this uh, with this uh, premise. What why? Why do uh, artists who get their catalog all of a sudden end up dead? So, brother, would you be willing to do a follow-up show where we could promote this even better, get some more questions asked, and also <clears throat> maybe we have to look into or explore having our own place where people can come and sign up for the course that you teach on a Saturday. Just a thought. I'm throwing it out there. I don't, I'm, I don't mean to box you into anything, but brother Jason, I tell you, you and I, uh, we are all the three of us are kindred spirits because we want to educate and liberate our people from from mental slavery. So that's it, brother. That's Thank you. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I'll do a follow up. You just let me know and uh, move some things around, and we'll make it happen. No problem. This this is my purpose. This is my mission, and I'm ten town ten toes down with it. You know, uh, the hey. goal with this is is to get this in schools, right? It's like a, it's a three pong thing going on here. Not only to get this in schools, so in the audience, if if you know or know someone that knows uh, a parent who has a, a team. Or, or superintendents, teachers, tell them you support this and tell them they need to support this too. They need to check this out. Um, also, because I was had some time as an artist in the music industry, my goal is to get this endorsed by the artists. You know? um, my goal is to be one of the trailblazers in hip-hop education. Um, Another goal is to expand internationally, right? I, I had the um, opportunity to visit Egypt last year, spent about two weeks in uh, Uganda, which is about three hours from Luxor, and it was an amazing experience. It was like going into a time capsule. And, you know, I did a 22-mile ATV ride through the Sahara Desert, rode the camels, you know, ate um, – Jet skis and now uh, in the Red Sea, it was it was just amazing. And then I looked at the community, you know, it was it was you know, um, unfinished infrastructure, and education just came right to the fore to my mind. Like, how could I make a difference here? How could I help? You know, one my closest friend Camilla Lassa, you know, he's from Ghana. You know what I mean? So one of my goals, in short, is to bring this program there to Africa. Or maybe starting in Ghana, um, and to teach them how to do business abroad in America, right? Teach them these concepts that that we we have here for business, so that they can do business here from abroad. Um, yeah, yeah, there's, um, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, here. A lot, a lot of visions I have for this. So, for this. But go ahead, brother. So, brother, I'm going to say this, brother Jason, if I may. Because I made this show for 90 minutes. We can go a little bit further on time if we have to. I'm, I hate to hijack this interview because it's a powerful interview, but I gotta, I gotta say something to you, my brother, as a, as a listener. Do you think 
that our open enemy wants to free us economically. I don't know, thought about that in your quest to bring this into the public, into a school system. Private school systems might do it, uh, but a public school system, the public school system was set up, but it only guarantees you across the United States to give you a sixth grade reading level. That's all it's guaranteed to do. That's all it was set up to make laborers, to make workers who can work and further on this system. You're talking about mental and economic independence. It doesn't, it never goes together with public school systems. That's why they took music out of public school systems. The reason why they took music out is because they realized in, 19, in the 1960s that brothers and sisters, like companies like Motown, were freeing themselves economically from their stranglehold by making their own music. And they were expert musicians. And they said, okay, we're going to take that out of the schools. And then, so just like black people do, we metamorphosed on them. We, we, we mutated on them. We said, okay, you took away the music, but you left us with the old music. So we'll sample it. <laughs> we'll use it, and we'll sample it, and we you can't never take the drum from us because we can make anything into a drum, and we'll put it to a funky drum beat, and we'll make some new music. And that's where we are now with hip-hop. This present-day uh, conception of, in, of hip-hop started from them trying to uh, rip us away from our, um, from our ability to be independent of them. So I want you to take a – I think you and I, Brother Jason, and whoever else is on your team, we need to have a conversation behind the scenes and talk oh, about absolutely. this because where, where you going, brother? We 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 are there in one sense, but we are not there in another because you have went and did one thing that you just admitted over the show. Nobody taught you this in school. Every time you run up against an obstacle, what you did was you mutated against them. You said, "Okay, you won't teach me. I'll go learn. I'll sneak into this master's program." I'll do this. I'll do that. And everything that you've done to bring forth hip-hop for freshmen was an independent course study. It wasn't – that curriculum did not exist before you, correct? It did, it did not, no. We're on the same page, brother. You know, and I, I, I can laugh because, you know, I, was, I put some pressure on you behind the scenes before the show to see, see <laughs> for your tolerance level. You know – because I think there's about, you know, there's about a 20 years difference in age, you know. So we, 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 got, to, we got to talk, but we got to build. Go ahead, brother. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go back to the listening room. <laughs> Listen, brother, this is always, in my opinion, divine intervention. There was a brother by the name of, and there is a brother by the name of Byron Parker, who's a, a Facebook friend of mine. And Brother Byron Parker made the connection. He, he reached out to me over uh, social media and asked if, if, it, if I could help. And this is not the first time you asked me to help. I, I built a beat for him a couple of times, and we were going to do a collaboration with his music. And he made the connection between myself and Brother Alan Perry, knowing the type of brother that I am, knowing the type of brother that uh, Brother Alan Perry is, knowing the type of brother that Brother Forrest is, I made the connection to my other Venture, which is Black Hole Radio, Black Hole Entertainment. This is divine intervention. Your concept, as Brother Forrest just said, Brother Allen, is revolutionary in the fact that it is designed to free people who had normally been enslaved, and enslaved because yep. of the lack of knowledge. So, That's right. as, 
as a freedom fighter, we are here to help you, brother. It's now 12 o'clock, and we're going to close the show with the promise that Brother Allen is going to be back. We're going to subsequently go over the notes on the show. We're going to um, do some editing to entice people to come by editing parts and making uh, some audio clips that we can have people to come and populate the next time we do this. So stay tuned and be prepared to go on to hiphopforfreshmen.com. Listen up. Brother Jason, if I may. Yes, sir. If I may, before you officially close out, I want to give a shout-out to Byron Parker. That's been my buddy since uh, since my music days. And we actually met uh, when I was looking for some studio time to record an album. And uh, he was my engineer at one part. And we've been very close friends ever since then. And he is a special individual. You know, he's very special yes, to me. And we we talk almost every day. Um, yeah, shout out to Byron Parker, Peter Don, for making this connection. And this definitely is a divine intervention. Um, yes, one last thing. I want to speak on an event that I went to. Uh, this I was invited to yesterday. This book is opening a lot of doors for me. Um, praise to the Most High. I had an invitation to uh, an event at uh, uh, the Audubon Ballroom, better known as the Shabazz Center, uh, where Malcolm X was assassinated. And there was an Afrofuturism uh, uh, titled event. And, and basically they're, um, they're launching or they're preparing um, – the opera version of the life of Malcolm X. Um, and I got the opportunity to meet one of his daughters and, and meet some really some really cool people in the room. And I felt like this book fits in where with with that movement as well. And um, absolutely, again, it's all divine intervention. And it was a dream of mine to to enter that building, and and, and and things have been moving. So I look forward to building with you, brother Jason, and Forrest as well. And I'll come back. You got my word. Uh, thank yes, you sir. for this opportunity. And go ahead, do your thing, brother. No, brother. This is this is how we do it. As I said, brother, the time went by so quickly. We went through approximately four of the twelve questions that I had prepared for you. So you know, there's a whole lot more to unpack. I would like to, just in the, in the mm-hmm. in the moment, I would like to purchase one of the, um, the core studies, because what I want to do in the time that we are building is I would like to do a real-time test on the product that you present. And the real-time test is we're going we're gonna to have a young person sitting in this, and I know plenty because they come through our doors all the time that say that they want this as a career, they want this as something that they want to do, and they're stuck. I have, a, I have a brother in mind right now. He's a Nigerian artist by the name of Solo Style. And we're going to test this because it's important that we show our people how to free themselves. And your book, your course study does that. We no longer need to be dependent on people that have time and time again showed us who they are by robbing us in our faces when we have the ability to free mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, Adam Clayton Powell, the great New York politician, asked the audience, what's in your hand? 
said, you want to free yourself? Look in your hand. What's in your hand? And our brother Alan Perry has showed us a little bit more about what's in our hand. Thank you again for coming on to Black, Black Hole Radio in the Blog Talk platform. We're going to speak about this again. Everybody, keep your ears to the radio. Keep the radio as a revolutionary tool. And we'll see you again very soon. Thank you again, Brother Forrest. Greetings to your family and greetings to all those who are listening. We thank you again for being a part of the Black Hole Radio family. Anything else, Brother Allen, before we close out? Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier uh, to the listeners, if, if you know parents, if you know superintendents, your teachers, tell them to check this out. You know, we've been talking about where are the black men in education? Where's the curriculum that, that's culturally relevant to us and our kids? Well, here's one of them, and here's, where, here's one, one curriculum right here. Um, so, yeah, check it out, hiphopforfreshmen.com, and um, I need your support. You know, we need donations. We need sponsors. Um, yeah, let's make it happen. Thank you again, Brother Jason. And thank you, my brother. Thank you thank again, you, Brother listeners. Forrest. Yes, sir. Thank you again, listeners.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.